And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. Or if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed against him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we gather together today, we gather to celebrate and to remember and to reflect on the cross. That is the only thing that matters today. And we come to this table where Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And so, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the cross this morning. Let us hear your words and your heart for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Words of an old hymn, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. We want to focus on the Gospel of Luke and how Luke tells the story of the crucifixion today. Luke starts this, and I think it goes through four. He, he gives us four sayings of Jesus, three from the cross. There's about seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, and here Luke gives us three of them, and he also has something that he says to a group of people who are walking the road with him to the cross. Four things happen here, and very much almost as a psalm, structured like a psalm. It starts with lament. A, 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 a reality of the horror to come. There is intercession. There is a promise. And there's a dedication to God. And through Luke's gospel, all the time we see this focus on the other. This focus on the downcast, the downtrodden, the marginalized in society. And Luke's crucifixion scene takes us there too. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus is concerned about others. No matter who they are, or how violently they have treated him and opposed him, he is seeking the lost. He provides a radical discipleship model. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene. Luke gives us a name. We don't know much more about him. Actually, Mark's gospel tells us the name of two of his boys. The father of Rufus and Alexander. The only reason to include that, the church probably knew these men later on. And they laid on him, and he carried the cross behind Jesus. And one of the things Jesus said over and over throughout his ministry was, if you're going to follow me, take up the cross and follow. Here is a living example. Not that Simon wanted to do this. He was forced into it. But he carries the cross for Jesus. Along the way and along the road, the first saying of Jesus there's a group mourning, lamenting for him, whether it's legitimate or, or, or whether it's heartfelt or whether it's just routine because crucifixions happened almost on a daily basis. Roman Empire. They were lamenting for him, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. This is his fourth prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapter 13, 
verses 34 to 35, he mentioned it. At the, at the triumphal entry, we find Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, saying, oh, Jerusalem, if you had only known what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from you. And during this final week, chapter 21, he had again predicted the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple as his disciples said, oh, teacher, look at these marvelous stones. Look at this great building. Look at this great place of God's blessing. And he says, oh, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. And if you read the accounts of the destruction of Jerusalem and the siege of Jerusalem and the factions between the zealots and the different groups in Judaism in the 10 years leading up to AD 70 and the horrors that happened in Jerusalem when they were fighting amongst themselves even before the Romans got there. Actually, uh, to, to an extent, the Romans were like, hey, just leave Jerusalem alone. They're doing a good enough job killing each other. The zealots had taken over the temple. They used it as a base, as a den of insurrection, as Jesus had even said when he cleansed the temple. About AD 66, four years before the fall of Jerusalem, it was the zealots against other Jews in town, against other Jews in town, and they were slaughtering each other. The Romans were like, hey, we don't need to touch them. They're doing a good enough job on their own. But finally, the destruction came, and this came all too true. And Jesus quotes Hosea 10, 8, Fall on us, cover us. Death is better than the ongoing suffering that we're facing. Revelation 6.16 echoes this once again. The final destruction of the last days will be so horrible that people will long for death. And he ends with this proverbial saying, if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And it's kind of saying, this is what's going on right now as we're walking to Golgotha, the wood is still green. How many of you have a wood stove? How does green wood go in that? Not so good, right? Slow, it burns, kinda, but it's not hot. It takes a long time to get it going. But dry wood, it'll burn fast, it'll burn hot. Destruction coming is like dry wood. It will kindle it will spark, and it will burn so hot, it'll make your head spin. Jesus invites lament for the rejection that he has faced. He does not call down vengeance on his enemies. He does not call for an overthrow of those who have sought to destroy him. He says, weep for yourselves because it's going to get even worse. If Jesus' death is this bad to mourn over, the coming judgment will be even worse. Daryl Bach in his commentary says, as painful as Jesus' death will be, he knows that he will be taken care of, vindicated, and resurrected. He's been saying this all along. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of evil men. They'll put him to death, but three days later he will rise again. He knew this all the way along. My death will be short term. Your destruction will be horrible. And oh, how it pains his heart to see the destruction coming.
He weeps over it. And here he calls for further weeping. Both Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem at the, a few chapters later on Palm Sunday as he wept over Jerusalem. His entrance into Jerusalem is marked by tears and his exit from Jerusalem is marked by tears and the prophetic voice that the end is near for Jerusalem. The first thing Jesus invites is lament over the destruction because they did not know the time of God's visitation to them. They missed the Messiah. And when we miss the Messiah, we miss life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. When we miss the Messiah, we miss life. Then they take him to the place called the skull, and there they crucified him. And Luke had no need to give a description of what that looked like, because everybody knew. And criminals, one on his right and one on his left, thus fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 53, he would be counted among criminals. And there he prays the prayer of Christ from the cross that is shocking. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, they didn't know what they were doing. They were getting rid of a troublesome guy who was upsetting the way things were. Right? That was their intention. Now, Pilate had said numerous times, and we'll get to this, innocent, 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 three times. Herod, innocent, doesn't deserve this. Religious leaders, kill him, kill him now. He's upsetting the way we like to do things. Get rid of him. We see this echoed in a further discipleship move. Jesus takes his teaching and he lives it out. Luke chapter 6 27 and 28 is also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But in Luke chapter 6, just to keep it with our good friend Luke here, Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs of you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is, a kind, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father 
is merciful. Jesus lived his teaching. In Matthew's gospel, he, he starts it off with, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And if you go back in the Old Testament, it's like, yeah, we can, there's the imprecatory Psalms, oh God, these people are bothering me, kill them all, get rid of them, annihilate them. Even in the, in, in the law, it's like, you've got all of these, you've got things like Isaiah 2.9 and Jeremiah 17.18, calling for God to avenge. But Jesus says, there's a new response to the enemy that I am expecting of my followers. A new response when you face persecution. It is not vengeance and cursing, but blessing. But blessing. Christopher Wright, in his commentary, says this Jesus prayed that they should be forgiven, and Jesus died so they could be forgiven. Jesus raised the bar on discipleship. Vengeance and cursing is no longer appropriate, but blessing and forgiveness extended. And prayer and intercession for the salvation of those who hurt us, who hate us, and who abuse us. But the rulers scoffed at him. Three times we hear the same temptation, almost mirroring the same that the Satan left him in Luke chapter 4. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, if he is the chosen one, if you are the king of the Jews. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. And Jesus could have. Matthew chapter 26, 53, Jesus is being arrested. And his followers are about to fight for him because, of course, they think this is supposed to be a military takeover. Get rid of Rome. It's a political movement. That's what Messiah is all about. But Jesus says, no, put away your sword. Do you not think that I could call on my father and at once have a legion of angels at my disposal? Put the sword away. This is not how we're going to do it. See, if Jesus had saved himself, he could not have saved us. If Jesus had saved himself, he could not have saved us. There's irony in each of these Statements, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, if he is the chosen one. The baptism of Jesus, you are my son, my beloved, and you I am well pleased. Here they even declare the truth, Christ, the chosen one, but they reject it and they mock it. The king of the Jews, are you the king of the Jews? Is mocking the charge. The statement that is printed on the cross, the king of the Jews in Jesus' lifetime, this is the only written message about him. All the Gospels come later. The first thing written about Jesus, King of the Jews. One of the criminals is mocking him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself on us. The irony is that the only way Jesus could be Messiah, the Christ, was to follow the plan of God so that by not saving himself and by going through with his suffering and death, he would be able to save us. 
lamentation, a prayer for forgiveness. Resisting the temptation to use the power at his disposal to save himself from horrible suffering. And then one last outcast comes to faith. The thief on the cross. The highest court in the land, Pilate and Herod, had already declared Jesus innocent, and now the lowest of the low, an insurrectionist, says, this man has done nothing wrong. It's the final declaration of innocence. All through Luke's trial and this crucifixion scene, the innocence of Jesus is hammered over and over again. This man has done nothing wrong. We deserve what we're getting. And the final outcast comes to faith. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what he was mocked for? If you're the king, save yourself. The thief on the cross, however it came about, recognizes Jesus is the king, that that is a true statement, that he will come in his kingdom. Maybe it's, it's in the future. But what others had mocked, this man declared. And Jesus said to him, here is the third saying. Promise, the promise of being with him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And again, everything comes upside down because the word, the, the word of God and in, in the Old Testament said, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And here is Jesus saying, today you will be with me in a place of immense blessing. And Jesus can promise that from the cross. For he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. This man was saved, not from the cross that he was on, but he was eternally saved through the cross of the one crucified beside him. Truly, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise today. And then darkness comes over the land. Luke sets the scene. From the sixth hour, noon, High noon, when the sun should be hottest and brightest, there was darkness over the whole of the land until the ninth hour. And there's no scientific explanation about this because Passover happens on a full moon. You can't have a total eclipse and you can't have it for three hours. This is a divine darkness. This is a move of God that throughout the Old Testament, the darkness is indicative of the judgment and the awesome presence of God. And the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The barrier is removed and torn apart. There is now no hindrance to coming into the very presence of God. And I think back to the imagery of this horrible darkness of the presence of God, I think of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. 
where God's, God comes and there's thunder and lightning and a cloud of thick darkness rests on the top of the mountain and Moses is instructed to come up, but he has to put barriers up to stop people from coming too close to the mountain because the holy presence of God would lash out at the sinfulness of the people. And when they construct the tabernacle and they set it up, then the fiery presence of God appears and it fills the, the tabernacle with smoke and people can't even go in because the holy presence of God is there. And only the priest could go in once a year behind that curtain after having purified himself with sacrifices and there he would once a year offer intercession for the people as he took the blood of the Passover into that holy of holies. Here that temple curtain is torn. And then Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last. Jesus is in control of every breath he takes, the timing of his death. He lays down his life with the unique authority that he told us in John. I have authority to lay my life down and to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord, John 10. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus quotes from Psalm 31.5 that we heard this morning. And then the centurion had seen what had taken place and he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. One last time we hear of the innocence of Christ. Michael Card notes that without exception, when centurions in the New Testament are part of the story, they are always in a positive light. Think of that. Every time you see a centurion approach Jesus, it's with humility. I'm a man under authority too. I get it. I get you're under authority. Every time. Very interesting. Praise God, certainly this man was innocent. All the crowds had assembled for this spectacle. When they saw it taking place, they returned home beating their breasts. Something was changing in their hearts. Uh, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, there was this scene at the temple where Simeon said, this, this child will cause the rising and fall of many and he will bring division in Israel. And there's those that are desperately wanting him dead and those who are grieving at his death. And as the scene closes, all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, those who had gone on the long journey that started in Luke's gospel in chapter 9, investing their time and their resources, read about them by name in Luke chapter 8, 1 to 3. They would have had families, mothers even, they may have been mothers. They invest their time, their resources, and they've been following Jesus. And we'll meet them again in the next few verses. Come back for the sequel on Sunday. They were at a distance watching all these things. 
three times in the next few verses and and right into chapter 24, we will see that the eyewitnesses to the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus are all these women who had followed him from Galilee. The first witnesses and the first to declare the resurrection. But what do we see in Jesus' character through this whole account? Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Truly, you'll be with me in paradise. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I see in this the character of Yahweh himself in Christ, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving sin, iniquity, and transgression. Exodus chapter 34. By taking it on himself. We sang it this morning. He became sin who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. These prayers of promise these prayers of lamentation that we read today are the words that come back even in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, not one of the apostles, a follower of Jesus, meets, well, he's, again, he's, It's the same group of people that are against him, same group of people that are against the emergence of the church. It's this really conservative group of Jews who think that, you know, they understand the Bible better than anybody else, so if there's anything different, we got to kill them all. And Stephen echoes this. I think Luke wants us to read these two accounts together, Acts chapter 7, as... Stephen is being stoned. He says, Lord Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. And he says, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is how a follower of Jesus, this is how a follower of Jesus embraces persecution and enemies and death. Because this is how Jesus models it for us. He laments over their brokenness and the fact they missed him completely. He intercedes even though they have turned against him completely. He promises the repentant a place with him and he dedicates himself completely to the care of God. And so may we live that out today. In the midst of any suffering and injustice we face, may we lament for those who come against us. May we intercede for their salvation. And may we offer an open door the moment somebody turns around in repentance, no matter where they've been, how they've lived, or or what they've done wrong. This man had nothing, could, could do nothing other than just say, remember me, Jesus. And may we dedicate our lives to the care of God and commit our spirits to him. The prayer of promise is available.
because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. As we come to the table this morning, let us remember the character of God embodied in his son, Jesus Christ. May we reflect on the fact that we are just as guilty as the thief on the cross. And God in his grace gives us the righteousness of Christ that we cannot earn, cannot merit, cannot work for. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We can gather around the table this morning and ask those who are coming to serve to join me. And let's bow our heads in preparation and just prayer and meditation on these words from Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken from the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, nor was there deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we must reckon with the fact that apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, apart from the brokenness of his body on the cross, there is no forgiveness for sins. 
there is no reconciliation with you. There is no healing for the brokenness of our world apart from the cross of Christ. No other way. There is nothing that will heal the brokenness of our hearts. And the horrors of our world apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, apart from the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, as we come around this table, help us to remember that it is not through strength, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It is not by anything that we can do, but all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So Lord, may we come humbly to your throne of grace today to find help in our time of need because you have torn the veil. The way is open and all can enter in. Lord, for any here today who have not bowed the knee to Jesus and said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, into your hands I commit my life. That's all we have to do. Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my life, all that I am. Thank you for going to the cross so that I don't have to. I am that lost sheep who has gone astray and my iniquity has been laid on you. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, we take this bread now. It's a symbol of your broken body. We reflect on the fact that you were broken for us that you laid down your life as a ransom. And that we need to declare this every time we eat this bread and drink this cup. In Jesus' name, amen. Powerful to make sin and shame
this covenant is making me whole. So And Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and divide it amongst yourselves. Lord, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. You remind us through the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. But also over and over you remind us that this is the last time it had to be done. And that your perfect sacrifice has opened the way that can never be shut. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing this, for going to the cross for us, for opening the way. Amen.
when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's stand for the benediction. But as it is, he, Jesus, appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. Amen. We'll see you Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection.